0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with Exodus Trail Cameras, I'm going to recommend you go to their website. Tons of great information about their products, right? The cool part is, is they're turning four. They're having their fourth anniversary. And to celebrate, they are offering 25% off their Exodus Lift 2 their Trek, and their new solar panel. And this is running from May 15th to May 28th. Um, They have a ton of great uh, features, right? I don't have enough time to share all of those features in this little time frame that I have to talk about it. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I have a camera off their very first run, and it has not given me any problems at all, right? Put the SD card in, format the card, turn it on, and it takes pictures, period, right? And that's what we want trail cameras to do. They work every single time. Take advantage of this, 25% off. Go to their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Do some research about all the functionality of their cameras, right? You can take a look at their price. You can find the one that's right for you. You can enter the discount code YEAR4, Y-E-A-R, the number four, and save 25%. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. And one of my favorite things about hosting this podcast is I get the ability to talk with some very interesting people, some very good people, the best of the best in the hunting community. And... uh that's who I get to talk to today. I get to talk with a guy named Alex Gilstrom. Uh, He works for Whitetail Properties. He's their uh, director of marketing or he does something in the marketing department. And he's just a good guy. And he's very passionate about the outdoors and he's passionate about bow hunting. And that is what we talk about today. We talk about his love and his passion for the outdoors. We talk about how he kind of got into the hunting industry at a very early age and I mean like 14 he was calling companies saying hey are you looking for an internship and people were saying hey man uh, you're only 14 years old why don't you give it a couple years right so that's how passionate he was about wanting to work in the hunting industry that's how passionate he was about bow hunting and just hunting in general and uh, that's what this podcast is about man we talk about you know the his dad being in you know a big influence in his life when it comes to hunting we talk about you know how he how he got into the industry and what led him to the position that he's at today with whitetail properties and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff the the big thing that i like talking about with everybody on this podcast and it's it's kind of a a main theme with everybody that I interview is we tend to talk about how failure turns to success right how if the first time something doesn't work out you try it again and it works out right or you keep trying and you fail and you fail and you fail and you keep out and guess what that worked for him not only on the hunting side but on his career side as well right he he wanted to be in the hunting industry because that was his passion and uh, he kept calling people and calling people and finally it paid off right and you're going to hear the whole story on today's episode it's a straight up bs session so it's a really good laid back episode but before we get into today's episode i always like talking about this partner of the podcast it's ripcord arrow rests right It's just a badass company. I know the owner, right? And when you know the owner of a company is just as passionate about bow hunting and hunting in general as you are, that gets me excited about their product line, right? They have one of the best drop-away rests on the market, period. It's made in America. It's a veteran-owned company. And it's not only a badass product, but the whole team of people that work there, I've, I've got the opportunity to meet a couple of them at some of these trade shows. They're very good people. You call them up, they'll answer your question. If you have a problem, they will solve your problem. And that right there, customer service on top of a product that is durable and reliable is top notch in my book right so they have a limb driven system they have a string driven system and they have like five or six different rests that you can choose from whether you want to do some micro tuning or if you want something that just straight up works every single time and their rests work every single time i beat the shit out of my equipment every single year and i have yet to ever ever have a problem and i'm talking 10 years of usage with their rest so go check out their rest ripcordarrowrest.com and uh, take a look at everything that they have to offer uh, there's that let's get into today's bs session podcast with alex Gilstrom. mr alex Gilstrom, how you doing man doing well buddy doing well you kill any turkeys this year
1: I tell you, yeah, we we did. You know, I was I was. Uh, I think actually, I was just talking to a guy, a buddy of mine, about trying to figure out what the total number was. I think I've seen eight die this year, and I've killed two myself. But it has not been um, without a lot of hard work. It's yeah. been. It seems like every everyone that we've got on and um, and worked. It's been a. It's been just a you know, scratching tooth and nail to get the thing get the thing killed but it's been fun though it's uh we we take we you know we enjoy the the struggle as much as the, the easy ones do so it's been a good it's been a good spring how about you
0: well I tell you what we uh we got lucky right off the roost with my wife and then like you had to you know grind and then uh the time frame for us came to an end and I ended up not getting one which is no problem to me I'm not like Uh, a crazy turkey hunter by any means. And I've killed a lot of them in my life already. So like turkey hunting for me is kind of extra. I just, I try to go out and get my, get my wife one. But this year has been an odd year from like, I got, I got some spots where I'll take my wife because it's easy. There's always a bird roosted on this ridge. And then I'll hear gobbles, you know. So as soon as my wife gets one, we'll go chase a gobble down this big valley. And this year i feel like the bird numbers were cut in half if not more
1: i i agree i mean at the very least the gobbling you know and i don't yeah. know if it was just that that late late winter kind of that that late cold snap we had and then and then finally warmed up but yeah it was i mean i can count easily on one hand the amount of days you're like all right this is you know it's, it's turkey season's here kind of a you know kind of a feeling yeah. and uh it was it, it was not many of them but yeah i mean i'm i'm a lot like you i I I absolutely love to hunt them and there. It's a pile of fun, but I, I'd almost rather just go call for somebody or, or take somebody else that hasn't, you know, shot a bunch of them or maybe get their first bird or something like that. That's what's, that's the fun, fun part for me.
0: Yeah. That's a fact, man. That's a fact. Well, why don't we start this podcast? Like we always start this. Why don't you tell everybody about where you live and what do you do for a living? Sure.
1: Um, I currently live in Pike County, Illinois, in a small town of Pittsfield. I've been here three years. Actually, it was three years ago, May 1st. Um, and I am the marketing director, um, oversee all, all creative, video production, marketing assets, uh, branding, things like that for Whitetail Properties.
0: Nice, nice. So let me ask you this, because um, everybody in the world wants to, you know, if they love hunting or they want to get into the hunting uh the hunting industry feels like, man, I want to be the director of marketing for some company. You know, that, that just sounds like a fun, a fun job. Um, how did you get into that position with whitetail properties?
1: Um, before that I was the, uh, I was a marketing manager for ScentLock, and basically getting into the industry was, it was a, it was a, it was kind of an interesting thing for me because I was, I didn't know anybody. I didn't, I wasn't related to anybody or had any connections or anything like that. I just knew from a very early, early age, early high school, that it was something that I, I wanted to do in and, and any way I could, could, you know, and I think that really stems back to kind of my parents' mentorship. You know, they said, you have to, you have to work for the majority of your life, make it something you really enjoy doing. And I really, that really stuck to me. That really rang true. And so um, kind of a long story short, I, the only way I knew how to do that was to just basically cold call companies. So I made a list of companies and just started calling them in the afternoons and, um, finally got through to a couple and kind of through different conversations and stuff. I was kind of like found out that, you know, my, my whole initial approach was internships. Like can I find summer work or internships or anything like that? Um, and my whole thing was I was willing to do it for free. I was willing to do it for no, no pay, just the experience. Like that's how like just, absolutely, you know, enamored and just on fire for it, I was. Um, and, and finally, um, you know, just, uh, I guess, just by luck through the grace of God, it was, uh, it was actually Sentlock who kind of gave me my first conversation and um, come to find out a couple of these companies were interested to in talk about internships, but they only really offered them to college students and i was 15 at the time so um it was yeah they were kind of like i'll never forget I had, a, I had a conversation with brad shore at Realtree one time and he was like and i my whole thing i was like hey i'm just looking to kind of get my foot in the door willing to do anything really and um you know i've got a got a passion for for writing and just in business and things like that and i just want to try to learn as much as i can and he goes oh you know what what year are you and i was like oh i'm a sophomore and and he's like oh what do you, what, what's your major what degree are you going for and i was just kind of like graduating. Like, I, was like <laughs> I, just didn't have a, I just didn't have a good answer. And he's like, well, how old are you? And I was like, well, I'm 15 and I'm, I think I might have been 16 at the time. And he's like, holy cow, you know, you're, you're 16 and you're getting, a, you know, it's awesome that you got on the ball. And so a couple similar, I found out, I was, I was like, well, okay. Understanding that internships or part-time work are really available to college students or, or kind of up what, you know, I started asking what are the things you guys typically look for in, in, skill sets or experience or, or, you know, degrees, whatever. And the, the two most consistent answers I got were, you know, business, like some type of sales or marketing and business and writing, having strong writing skills. So, um, I kind of already had a, just a um, a knack or an interest in writing as it was. So I knew that was something I really wanted to kind of continue to evolve and grow and, and adapt. And then I enjoyed marketing too. So it was kind of a, kind of a natural fit as it was. And so I went to, I went to college and, Uh, I was a small uh, D three college in, in, uh, in Michigan and went to play baseball and, and focused on uh, writing uh, journalism and and business communications. And, and so once I finally got to college, and got my foot in the door. I I was a little more systematic. I I made my entire list of of companies that I had phone numbers for, or or maybe even contacts for now. And then one Friday, I would spend one Friday afternoon each month and call that entire list. Um, And it was probably 50 to 60 companies on it. And, and after a while, it was a lot of like, oh, we don't have anything right now, but you know, keep trying back, or thanks for you know, thanks for calling and think of us, you know. Well, after about three or four months, it kind of started to be, oh, hey, Alex, how's it going? How's baseball going? Okay, yeah, well, we, nothing yet, but you know, try back and, and stay in touch, and and then sure enough, uh, Scentlock gave me gave me an opportunity for a summer internship, um, my junior year, and I just I made the most of that opportunity and kind of uh, and kind of just took off from there and then, uh, ended up into, you know, um, still went, went to, went and did some camera work for, and some production work for some hunting shows. Um, and then, uh, actually ended up about, about two years after I graduated college, I got an opportunity to come join Scentlock's uh, marketing team as a full, on a full-time position. And, um, the, the kind of the rest is history. I spent six years there and absolutely loved it and loved the people there and loved, getting to manufacture goods and getting to market goods and really get to, get to learn ins and outs of that, of that entire business. And, um, through the hunting and clothing side of things, Whitetail Properties has, you know, produces a television show and, and Centlock works with Whitetail Properties on that. And I got to know, uh, Paul Sawyer and Dan Perez, two of the the founding fathers, kind of the partners of Whitetail Properties, um, through that. and, And they ended up calling me, um, a little over three years ago now and said, Hey, we'd be really interested in you coming down and kind of, taking the helm of, of our creative and our video production and our marketing. And, um, I, uh, I was like, well, you know, I, I love Michigan. I've had a really good run at St. Lock and kind of feel like there's, there's some new things here for me and getting the chance to, to move and, and put down roots in Pike County, Illinois, uh, didn't sound too bad
0: either. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Now, a lot of college guys, myself was included. Um, you, you, you leave high school, you go to college and you have no idea what you wanted it to do right i i went in there and i was just like what do i want to do when i grow up i don't know and i really didn't know that until man late my late 20s but it sounds like you had and you knew what you wanted to do you knew what uh i guess uh industry you wanted to work in you went to college to accomplish that goal to get into one of these companies
1: that's that's exactly right, and and, I, and honestly, it's it's something I, I hate to say I took it for granted, but it's something I just wasn't aware of, probably until the last few years, where I really was like, man, like it was really kind of a blessing to have, you know, by no means that I have it figured out, but to have a, a, a see a course and then and then really try to execute it, you know, I just it is, you're exactly right, man. I mean, a lot of people, and you know, my brother's really close, you know, we're, I'm really close with my brother. And he's, he's in that boat too. You know, he's in his upper twenties and still doesn't really know, you know, he's got a job to pay the bills and do his thing. But it's like, you know, I just, and and I think that's one of the things, like even the guys I manage, you know, at at, at Whitetail on the creative side, I just, I get so fired up and I get so excited to like try to help people realize their passion and then go do that. Like, like do that for a living. And I mean, like, like I said, I mean, like my parents' words just really rung true to me that you spend the majority of your life working, man, like do something you love to do. Don't wake up every day feeling like you got to go to work and, and just, and grind through that because it's just, there's just so much more to it. I mean, and I, I'm so blessed and lucky. I can honestly say like, don't get me wrong. There's days. Right. But, but it's like, I can honestly say I wake up and feel like I, I really don't have to go to work every day.
0: Yeah. That's a good thing, man. Uh and I'm kind of in that position now where uh right doing this doing this podcast and doing the content through the sportsman's nation and nine fingers, that is it doesn't feel like work. It's it's my job now because I, I kinda got forced into it through a layoff. Right. But right. like this conversation I'm having with you is awesome. Like, who doesn't want to talk about, you know, the outdoors <laughs> right. all day long?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and, and you and I, you know, talked a little bit over the years and stuff. And I knew it was kind of one of those things where, like, talking to you about, man, when, when's the time right? Like, when can I make this transition? When can I make this switch? And, and I was like, my, my first, I was actually talking to Kenny about, he said, like, oh, man, like, you know, the other day, whatever, Johnson got, got laid off. And I was like, my, in, my very first reaction was like, awesome. Like I was, <laughs> it wasn't like, it was like, and I, I by that made out, And like, I was like, Oh, like, I don't want him to be like, in, you know, his family to be in like financial turmoil or anything right, like that. Right. But like, I knew, I knew where your heart was. And I was so, I knew you would, I knew you would with the opportunity and, and being, like you said, forced to do this, I knew you would kill it. And I know that's what you want to do. And I was, I was pumped for you. I really was like deep down. I was like, man, he's going to
0: rock it. Right. It was kind of, it's funny. I don't know if I've shared this story uh, on this podcast but they they brought me and a handful of people into um a room and it was a big uh cut you know across the entire company and uh they said okay well today's your you know today is your last day here and wow the first thing that i thought of was cool I can fit another podcast in this afternoon. So <laughs> it was like, yeah, it it, 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 was bad from the financial standpoint, but it was good because now I can just grind on what I'm passionate about.
1: Yeah. And just be happy, man. Absolutely. That's the thing. Like just, just be happy. That's, that's I, and that's what I tell everybody is like, life is too short and it's just, just do what you love and be happy with it. And I mean, it's, money isn't everything obviously we all got responsibilities and you've got kids and all this other stuff but it's it's yeah just be happy and I'm, I'm pumped that you get an opportunity to do that now
0: absolutely all right we're going to take a little hard transition here and i want to kind all of right. take a step back all the way to the beginning and i want you to talk a little bit about your introduction into the outdoors i mean stuff like did you come from a hunting family or an outdoors family is this something that you kind of picked up uh, later on or, or just kind of lay that down for us?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely was lucky enough to grow up in a hunting family. My dad, you know, is, is a good hunter, loves to hunt and really enjoys it. Um, and it was one of those things that I think the anticipation and the buildup due to like Michigan's laws, I, I grew up in Southwest Michigan. Um, and, uh, it was, you couldn't, you could archery hunt deer when you were 12 and small game hunt with a gun when you were 12 but you couldn't hunt deer with a gun until you were 14 and that was kind of like when i was probably until the time i was like nine or ten that was all i really knew because my dad wasn't a bow hunter he was a michigan gun hunter yeah um and so that was like man i can't wait till i'm 14 right well going through hunter safety when i was like 10 or 11 no i think i was 11 man heck i might even be 12 um anyway uh, going through hunter safety right before you know in the, in the spring early summer and then I was like, started like understanding all the laws and regulations. And I was like, wait a second. Like I can deer hunt when I'm 12 with a bow. Like I'm going to get a bow. Like I'm going to do that. That's, <laughs> that sounds incredible. Like, <laughs> like it, I don't have to wait two more years to deer hunt. This is awesome. You know? So, um, and I, and I had, so in addition to my dad, my uncle who are, who really wasn't a, a big, actually on my mom's side, um, who really wasn't a big, a big hunter himself, but just he was so selfless and so like giving of his time and his, and his energy to, my brothers and my brother and me and, and, um, and just really love to see us happy and do the stuff we love to do, whether it be fishing, hunting, whatever. And and he was like, all right. So he got me my first bow um, for Christmas. And I was, I was just started shooting the thing all the time and, and it just grew on fire and just absolutely just grew a passion for archery and for, um, for deer hunting. And, um, and it just kind of like snowballed from there. And I, I shot my first uh, you know, animal when I was 12, my game first game animal, when I was 12 was a rabbit with my dad. And it was, it was special. I remember like it was yesterday and, um, and it just continued to do really cool stuff from there. And, um, just really continued to just pursue bow hunting and try to understand deer hunting. I mean, you know, like everybody called me that like the sponge, I, I watched every video, every DVD I could ever actually, hell, it was VHS back then. Right. Like, right. I mean, it was, vhs tapes and and read every article and and just just crazy stuff i just wanted to learn as much information as i could about this this bow hunting thing and um and it was really probably one of the, the most fun things looking back on it was my dad ended up getting a bow and like found archery through my passion for it so it was so it was so cool to see that come full circle uh for him and now i mean neither i don't think either one of us has carried a gun into the into the deer woods and like seven years or so not i mean not that we have anything against it it's just like we would rather be bow hunting. so yeah. um so that's that's kind of a long story short on, on really how my my passion for for archery really kind of uh really kind of started and i think through that obviously being different seasons earlier in the year longer seasons than just firearm season i was kind of doing that on my own so i kind of had to figure out a lot on my own. I mean, my dad definitely taught me the basics and, and he really gave me some really good values and, and lessons learned about deer in general. But when it came to like understanding how to get within archery range of deer, um, it really, I really took another step to a different level for me. And I really kind of just continued to just get more on fire and get deeper into the passion for it. And um, and I was, that was at the time, I mean, I was coming up in a in a time frame where like hunting shows and DVDs really started getting popular. Uh, The outdoor networks weren't, weren't quite there yet, but so, you know, I don't, I don't regret it or look at it as a negative or anything like that, but I was so enamored with them. Like, I, I was like, I can't believe that these guys get paid, you know, at the time, obviously now being in the industry and understanding how it works, but at the time it's like, I can't believe these guys get paid to shoot deer on camera and that's their job like I was, it just absolutely <laughs> blew my mind I was like I have to do this I have to and so started understanding about you know cameras took a little family handy cam out and just doing stuff and just kind of filming whatever I could and just yeah. having a ball with, well what that led to was like I started passing deer like and I know you kind of have a little bit of a similar story it's like I started like passing deer that like I had no business passing when I was 12 and 13 years old. And, yeah. and, I, and I, and I'd say, luckily I had like, when I was 12 and 13, those first couple of years, I mean, I was flinging arrows at anything like anything that was right. a deer that was in range. I was, I was sending them. I missed, I missed six deer with a bow before I ever killed one. Yeah. So it was like, I just couldn't figure it out. I was, you know, and then finally could overcome that, you know, the buck fever and just the, the emotions and adrenaline. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. You know, now it's like a, I really love to target and hunt mature deer and try to do that on you know public land, do it myself, whatever. But it was, it was kind of coming up, coming up into it at a time when um, when that stuff was really getting popular. And it really kind of shaped and changed. Like I said, I don't I don't really know if it's a good thing or a bad thing today, but it just it's kind of what it what it is and what it was, and yeah. um, that's kind of the, the the path I took.
0: Yeah, and I tell you that's in in some way, shape, and form, it's similar to my story because, like, although I didn't have. I didn't necessarily grow up in a hunting family. Like my two uncles, they didn't live n- near me per se. Like they were two hours away from me. So as I was growing up, um, they kind of, uh, they were doing their thing. But I didn't necessarily grow up in a hunting family. I kind of found archery or hunting later and what I mean by that is yeah I started hunting at about you know 13 14 years old not seriously and I had no mentorship as far as what you should or shouldn't be doing so it was all like hard knocks type of learning uh, as far as hunting whitetails was concerned but I, I do have this one memory of me getting like my first trail camera and it was this big like film trail camera right where yeah you with like the
1: deep like the d batteries, right
0: d batteries it probably weighed <laughs> yeah. i feel like it weighed 10 pounds right
1: right right you put yeah.
0: it on the tree and you're getting whatever walks by you know it's not right. today where you get thousands of pictures on an sd card i was getting 24 pictures and if those 24 pictures all happened in the second that i left then I, there's two weeks there that go by with nothing well anyway Yeah, you know i i I go and i get this picture developed or these pictures developed and i i'm like oh my god it's a buck and it's like this 120 inch deer and i i get excited because i had yet to see a i had number one i had yet to shoot a deer and number two i had yet to um see a buck on trail camera so i get this 120 inch buck you know maybe a I don't know if he was a 10 pointer or an eight pointer or a nine pointer or whatever. He's just like a two-year-old, right? In Iowa. And I take it to the farmer whose land I was on. I was like, oh, check this out. Look at this buck. And he goes, Yeah, what about it? And he was he <laughs> wasn't he wasn't he wasn't fired up about it at all. And I'm like, what this is a this is a big buck. He's like, son, <laughs> like, uh- no, no, it's not. Don't shoot that deer. You know, shoot one of the bigger ones. And I'm just, I didn't get it. So I get this education from a, a, this farmer who's like, there's big, bigger deer out there. So before I even shot a deer or a buck with a bow, I was passing deer, which, which if I look back on it, I think I should have shot more deer and did the brown it's down thing for a while and not instantly go into like, I don't know, QDM practices. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Oh yeah, dude. And that's your exact Yeah. I get it completely. And yeah, that's tough. I mean, like you said, when, cause you didn't have any of that kind of guidance. And I mean, and I, you know, I, I guess I did. I had, I probably had two years, probably like my, my first two years where it was kind of Brown. It's down and I was letting it fly and I killed a couple deer and it was great. But, um, I, I it was, it was a short process. It was a short wow. transition for me. You know, it, it was, it was right from there into that, but yeah, I mean, it's just uh, hard to say. Like I said, can't have any regrets, and you're you're in a happy place now. You you know you loved doing what you do, but it's I, I get where you're coming from yeah. for sure. Where it's like letting the air out a couple more of them early on probably would have uh, would have changed things a little bit.
0: Right, right. And but the good thing about this this whole thing was they say in order to kill big deer, you have to be comfortable around big deer, right? So. Yep. I started passing these little deer, which meant I'm in the woods more, which means I'm yep. I'm getting these interactions with these bigger deer. I'm becoming more comfortable around them. I'm making less mistakes because, you know, I you know, I let a hundred and forty inch deer walk by when I was twenty some years old and that that allowed me to not get fired up, not make mistakes, not shoot a younger deer when I'm after a bigger deer, whatever. And, uh, so my question to you is how old were you when you started taking that next step into, Hey man, I really only want to target mature deer.
1: I was probably, I killed my first big mature deer when I was 16. Um, and then the next year, I shot a two-year-old, a nice deer. I mean, growing up in southwest Michigan, you just, it's, you know, and I say big mature. I mean, he's probably, I mean, he's a 140-inch nine-pointer. Um, when I was 16, I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's what we call a giant. I mean, you just don't see many deer like that around uh, in, in Michigan. I mean, you, you know, how pressured it can be and and just, just how small the tracks are. But anyway, the next year I killed, I killed a two year old and I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed with the deer. I was happy that like it happened. I was was happy with everything, but like remnant, like thinking back on it after it had happened, I was kind of like, this is okay, but this feeling is way different than the feeling I got last year when I shot that big deer. Yeah. And so I was like, I want, I want more of that. I need, yeah. I need more of that. So, um, and, and, and I'm, you know, fill in the freezer it, to me is priority one. I get that right first and foremost, I have a bat. I mean, I want, I want meat for the freezer, organic, good red venison that I can just eat all year long. I mean, that's, that's what I'm happiest for sure. So shooting does and shoot, you know, that's very, very important. And I don't have anything at all against, shooting younger deer. I just started realizing, like, I wanted to, I, and then, and then it gets into what we talk about all the time, right? Like the chess match. And it's like, okay, if you're, if you're making the decision to start pursuing mature deer, then all the other stuff has to happen. You got to learn and woodsmanship and you got to learn how they operate, how they, where they live, how they live, how they travel, transition, where they, you know, what the process is. Um, and that's when I it just reached a whole nother level. So I would say late teens, early twenties, and to your point, I, I agree with that statement so much that you said about, you know, I really truly believe to consistently kill big deer, you have to learn to be comfortable around big deer. And, and for me, that was filming. I, when I, when I was in my early twenties and I, I was filming for a couple different shows and stuff like that, and I was, I was filming guys who were passing deer that I would have never passed in a million years, you know, like good three-year-olds, you know, even big giant, two-year-olds, good three-year-olds, four-year-olds, stuff like that. They just, this weren't what they were looking for it taught me in a hurry, like how to like, how they move through the woods, how they transition, how they, how they look, how they, and how they listen. And it just, I learned so much in such a short amount of time, but through filming um, that it, it was like, man, like just awesome lessons learned to 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 kind of even fast track being, being able to be around big deer and knowing what I need to do.
0: Right. Right. So for me, and this is going to turn into a question for you, but for me, okay. I made a lot of mistakes in that yeah. time frame. Not just year one, but a ton of mistakes when I made the decision to start targeting, you know, mature bucks. What were some of the biggest mistakes that you can remember making? Uh, you know, that you were able to learn from when you started that that switch of that target.
1: Number one, hands down, was patience. Um, just didn't have it. Um, I, I don't in general, like in general life, I don't have much patience, and but hunting, <laughs> I, hunting, hunting is one of those things that I'm thankfully, and just really, blessed, really thankful to be able to have, to have, uh, learned and, 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 you know, wrap my arms around patience when it comes to hunting. I really need to probably do that in other areas of my life, but it's, uh, it's that that was number one for sure was just just uh knowing when to push in when to hold back knowing you know when to not call to a deer or to call to a deer um knowing you know when to wait to get a better shot or wait to you know just move a setup or it was just understanding those dynamics of like okay you need to just be patient and time it right time it right um that was that was probably the number one thing for me where i just I just would go in and get so overly, overly aggressive. And I was, you know, at that time, um, gosh, it was like, it was Dan Infalt's early days as far as like hunting media. And he's been a huge mentor of mine just through, through, um, his, his media and things like that. He grows and, and, um, you know, he kind of cut his teeth hunting swamps. That's how I, that's a lot of what we had around our areas and on our, in the properties that I hunted was a lot of swamp and marsh stuff. So it just really related. Well, well, to just diving off in there and getting after it. You know, it was like, I, it was just, yeah, making tons of mistakes and learning along the way. And, uh, but I would have to say that, yeah, that patience was probably the number one thing I would, I would just not
0: be patient enough. So you hear, you hear this a lot, right? So people don't have patience, but at the same time, we have these conversations and we, we, we hear these stories about guys saying, you know, you got to have patience but you have to also know when to be aggressive. So because – do you feel that your lack of patience allowed your learning curve to become shortened because you were diving in and being ultra-aggressive on you know some of these sets and, and making the mistakes that you made?
1: Absolutely. For sure. Yep. It was and, – and my dad was fortunate enough to kill some really nice deer, and it's been awesome to see that. But – it wasn't the caliber of the deer that I really necessarily wanted, or I'd even seen a couple of times, you know, where I'd gone into bedding areas. You're not quote unquote, supposed to go into, or you're not supposed to do this. And some of the deer that I'd just seen at a distance, I was like, Oh my gosh, like we don't have anything like that on our or You know, we've never seen anything like that. Like I want to try to get, how do I get, how do I make this happen? And so I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, dude. I'm still screwing up left and right. And I got tons to learn, but it's, it's, uh, it definitely put me in the game, quote unquote, with, with bigger, more mature deer a lot, I guess, sooner because I almost did it backwards where I, I didn't have to force myself to really push the envelope to get any be aggressive. I kind of, I kind of, uh, reverse engineered that if you will, where it was right. like, all right, I gotta, I'm too, I'm, I'm getting too aggressive and now I gotta, I gotta tone it back and scale back a little bit.
0: So you almost did it opposite of what a majority of the people do and they are too patient and they wait too long and miss an opportunity.
1: Yeah. And I I mean, I think it's just a lot of times it's, it's about the property you're hunting and and the type of hunting that's around your area and just what that, what that kind of allows. But yeah, I mean, to put it as simply as possible, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. That it just kind of, it kind of allowed me to, to, uh, to kind of do that a little bit, a little bit backwards.
0: Yeah. All right. So, you know, you, you had to force yourself to learn some patience. Um, as you, as, as you started kind of changing your methodology on how you're approaching these mature deer, um, did you, did, did that patience pay off or did you have to find like a good balance between the patience and, uh, being aggressive?
1: I think it was, i think it paid off you know i think it was a, it was finding that good mixture that good balance um and i think where it probably helped me the most was i'm a big like consistency guy like what conditions or what elements are in place that you've seen mature deer on their feet in daylight like what are the consistencies now granted you know, the rut can be crazy and deer can just be everywhere at all different times of day and, and weather and fronts and all this other stuff. But, but I just, that's probably like another big thing I attribute to, to, to patients was just being really observant, like really just trying to, to put the pieces of a puzzle together, be observant, figure out, okay, like when, you know, the temperature drops this many degrees on average, you know, you've seen a lot more deer in these two weeks, year over year than you do other times. Like there's, might be something to that so i'm always trying to draw like draw correlations and connect dots and things like that from like from an observation standpoint and movement pattern standpoint um and i mean gosh it isn't even region to region it's almost property to property that can be different based on different different things and and elements but um yeah that that's probably one of the big things that i really spend a lot of time on is trying to understand the the correlations to movement and what the conditions and what the elements are and and being able to almost, you know, try to, you know, never get it right all the time, but you try to forecast or plan or predict certain things based on, you know, what past experiences have been.
0: Right. So with all that said, then, do you feel that you're more of a data-driven hunter or go-with-your-gut style?
1: for some reason i want to be more data driven but i'm definitely a gut guy (laughs) like it's like it's just it comes down to it and it's like that is there's there's a big deer in there there's a big deer living in there and i know i need to get in there so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go get him or i'm gonna go at least try to see him um now granted i will definitely do everything in my power to get like data driven like around that but and i also spend like an insane I I was actually talking with a buddy about this not too long ago I think I think if I had to add the hours up I bet I spend just as much time postseason scouting or scouting in the off-season um than I do actually hunting yeah yeah if I really had to had to compare it so again I just I want to understand consistencies I want to understand like trends in their movement patterns how they how they make sign how they where they make sign, where they, you know, I just, I want to learn as much as I possibly can about mature deer in different, in different situations and w- what can be the same or what to look for. And, um, and I just really pour into that as much as possible. But that being said, um, I feel like, I just feel like you got to go with your gut at the end of the day, you know, and, and just, and I, and I, even though you might make a mistake or might make a, make the wrong move, I just, I feel like there's a lot, just, there's a lot more that can come out of that than, than just uh well, you know, the, you know, it's almost like you know one of the sayings that hundred we understand a lot is like paralysis by analysis. It's like I think if you just analyze too much or get too too crazy with the data or information, you, you're just you're never going to make a move. You know, <laughs> yeah. and and I think that can that can definitely be a, a negative.
0: Yeah, and I tell you what, I find myself doing more prep work these these last couple seasons than actually hunting itself. And I think that's a mixture of things. And what I mean by that is one, I'm forced to hunt less because I have yep. too many kids. You know, I got a wife and I have all these other responsibilities that I have to take care of. So the days of hunting, you know, October one, five days in a row are over. Right. So I have to pick and choose, yep. especially if I'm, you know, wanting to go on an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt, right. I'm leaving the state so I got to, I got to spend more time at home and that, I think what that does is that not only reduces the pressure on the properties that I hunt, but at the same time, it makes me really think hard about the decisions that I make because I don't want to make, don't want to make any more mistakes.
1: could not agree more, man. I mean, I don't have, I'm actually getting married this August, but so the family thing is on the, on the horizon, but, right. uh, don't have don't have kids yet, but man, with work and everything, like it's so time you know, time and you want to make the most of your time. Like a, a really big buzzword for me is efficiency. Like I have to be efficient and I want to be efficient. Um last year was the most efficient year I've ever had in my life. It was almost silly how efficient it was and I think it was just probably a lot of luck more than anything. But it was um it was, you know, it's like I, if I'm going out of state and I've got, you know, five or six or, you know, maybe even 10 on a long trip or whatever days to get it done. It's like, you have to be efficient with your time. You've got to run, you know, you've got to scout on the go and stand, put the stand on your back and, and really, and really, um, like you said, just try to analyze and and, and process information and what you're seeing as quickly as possible, because you just don't have that much time.
0: Right. Right. So let me ask you this. You moved away from Michigan and you know, now you're somewhere like, what was your first move outside of Michigan?
1: Actually, I actually moved to Iowa.
0: Okay. Iowa. <laughs> I was,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I moved, uh, I moved to Albia, Iowa and was an intern, uh, for Bill Linky at Midwest Whitetail.
0: Okay. So when you're there, obviously you have a lot of, uh, responsibilities, you know, during the hunting season there, but did your, did your, goal change from moving to from Michigan to Iowa I mean what was that change like for you
1: yeah um I would say definitely you know I was still I was still fairly realistic it's like okay man like you've been able to put some some decent bucks on the ground you know some really 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 good Michigan deer and heck good for anywhere I I think it's always all about the you know that deer is is that, you know, quality of that deer is measured by the, the, the happiness and the, and the grat- you know, the gratification that the hunter has, I think, you know, so I was very happy with them, but, but yeah, certainly. I mean, it's like, you're not Southeast Iowa, right. I mean, it's the land of the giants and, and of course there's going to be a 180 that steps around the next tree. And, you know, and that's, <laughs> and that's what
0: you're looking for. So it's like, yeah, right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I was still realist. I was, I was pretty much my goals, I guess, are what I was kind of was like, you know, I really really want to be able to you know target four year olds you know if it's a i you know when I was hunting on public ground um then and i mean I still hunt majority of public ground today, but it's you know it's kind of even evolved now that I've been doing it a little longer but but the, in that i guess in those first couple of years out of state and being in a quote unquote big buck state um it was like all right if it's a if it's a you know a really a heck of a three year old I'm probably not gonna lay off and if it you know if it's a four year old good mature buck you know shooter. So that was, that was kind of my, uh, kind of my, my, mindset.
0: Yeah. So how did those first couple seasons in Iowa go for you?
1: Um, really humbling. <laughs> yeah. I had, uh, you know, I had, I had lucked out. At, I call him a huge success because, you know, my main responsibility was, was to film. Like it wasn't to hunt. So I, I got very little hunting time actually. Um, but, uh, I had definitely had seen the biggest typical um when i was on you know on stand myself and had a couple days i could get out on public ground i saw the biggest typical i've ever seen i mean it was a deer well over 180 as a clean 10 um and just uh and just to see an animal like that was just unbelievable and just incredibly great um but it was probably i guess i started going to kansas around that same time um i guess it was the next year for for a period of time, and hunting some public and, and walk-in stuff there, and um, and got her got it done on a on a on a good eight-pointer, um, but it was it, I I would say overall my my growth or progression as far as like killing you know higher caliber deer like in in those quote-unquote big buck states where you know on public ground where it's a little bit harder to do it, um, it was it was it was what I would classify as probably a slow progression. I mean it wasn't it wasn't like oh I. I'm moving out of state and I'm just going to start, you know, I start just hammering these things. But, um, <laughs> I, I think, uh, I think I, I really attribute a lot of like Michigan being so tough, you know, and just the hunting pressure and everything like that. So consistently throughout the year, um, because I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions too. In these, in these quote unquote big buck States, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, you know, Nebraska, all this stuff, it's, uh, there's hunting pressure there. You know, it may not be, it may not be as you as season long as it is in other other places, where there's just more people and more hunters. But man, like you go to the rut, you go you know you go in the rut to, to Iowa, Kansas, whatever, and you're out in public ground. You're gonna
0: people. I mean, you
1: might be able to get away from them, but but they're getting crushers. So it's it definitely is uh, yeah. is not no walk in the park by any means.
0: Yeah, and I don't know about Michigan or Kansas, but I can speak on Iowa. Iowa, if not the the least amount it's the second Or third least amount of Public access hunting Land in the entire United States So what that it, means yeah. is, Yes we have big bucks And we have less Hunters but we also have Less public land which means That there's going to be just As high of a concentration of Guys hunting that public Land as there is you know I'm not going to say it's comparable to um, You know some of these higher density areas in Michigan or Pennsylvania, but we are going to get, you know, uh, when I, whenever I hunt public land, I'm running into a guy or two. If I don't, I got lucky that day. Right. But you know, I, I'm not gonna And yeah, I think that, 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 uh, that public land gets hammered, but what makes Iowa such a destination is because of all the private ground, there's always that, that 150 hanging out and during the rut you know that that buck can big bucks can travel for a long ways and and you can get lucky absolutely
1: yeah no it's a special place for sure and i agree with you i think that the opportunities are definitely there i mean regardless of pressure or whatever it has the opportunity and that's i mean don Kiske always said from day one like if you want to kill big deer you got to hunt where big deer live or deer are you know where there are big deer and that was that's 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 fact you know you got to you got to Jobs and percentages and hunt where where there is a higher higher likelihood or a a good likelihood of them being you know and it's you know big deer's eye in the eye of the beholder of course but you know what a deer that a deer that you personally want to target or a caliber of deer that you want to target you need to hunt where those deer exist
0: yes that's a fact jack all right, so as you know, now you're you're in the glory, right? The glory land, uh, the, <laughs> the holy land of Iowa. How many how many years did you stick around Iowa before you ended up making it over to Illinois?
1: Uh, it was one, one, and yeah, it was one year, and then I got actually a an offer, an opportunity um, to to move over and film for Whitetail Properties um at the time and this was in 2011 um so I started filming for whitetail properties and that's where I really was able to to be blessed and spend an entire season around a lot of guys that passed a lot of what I considered really big deer um and and just learned to really be around big deer and so um I actually and, and that was a, I went back home to Michigan and shot a doe that year but I did not have any other opportunities um then because i was filming so much um but you know i got the fil- i mean i kill i filmed the guy kill 175 inch typical 12 point um and you know 150 inch eight point i mean it was it was just just some incredible experiences yeah. and just learned and got to enjoy so much of that and and actually that was when um i think like man i don't know if, you know being a, a field producer is really for me uh, it's, it's fun i enjoy it but you know, I kind of still got the, this uh, kind of in the back behind this passion, this driving force for business and to have a really good understanding of that. So after the 2011, it was toward the end of 2011. That's when Centlock actually called me back and said, hey, we've got full time marketing position available. Would you be interested in moving back to Michigan, coming to work for us full time? And, um, you know, luckily I had it was the stars aligned for me to be able to do that and kind of go and experience that. And, uh, and I was, it was, it was the right time for me. And obviously like, I think now it's like, man, you moved away from Iowa and Illinois, like to go back to Michigan, you're like, are you sure about this? But it was, uh, it was, it was absolutely the best decision and, and really kind of really put my career kind of on the, on the, on the track that I wanted it to be.
0: Right. Right. So let me ask you this. How old are you right now? 31. You're 31. Okay. So, you know, in 2011, you're still a pup right? And, that's right. Oh, yeah. you know, so you definitely, ha- it's not like you're like in your golden years and you had to make sure. these really important decisions. You, you mean, that, that sounded for a kid your age at the time, back in 2011, it sounded like a really good opportunity.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, no question. It was, it was a, an, an awesome opportunity and blessed to have it for sure. And I don't, don't take it for granted one second. I mean, I'm, I'm so thankful for, for having that kind of first, Hey, uh, let's, let's hire this, you know, I hope a better term this kid uh, to come up and, and join our team and, and really, uh, you know, see what he can do for us. So it was it was really, uh, really cool opportunity.
0: Gotcha. So how much did it suck, right, uh, living, you know, like s- tasting and seeing what the potential out there is in Illinois and Iowa for big bucks and then having to move back and, you know, f- back to hunting Michigan again did it give you a, a different perspective or allow you to look at that higher pressured state in a, in a different way
1: it definitely helped me in a different way and again it's it's all in the eye of the beholder you know shooting a good deer in Michigan I'm, I I love it and I get the same rush that I that I do other times but I'll, I'll I'll sum it up for you this way so I moved back to Michigan uh I think early April rolls around time i need to get my preference point for iowa because i because when i was in iowa i was able to find um some pretty dang good public spots so i was like okay it's in a couple different units so i'm like i'm gonna start getting my points and then in a couple years i'll be able to go uh i go on online to get my preference point it still has me listed as an iowa resident bingo so i'm like i'm like oh man like what in the world and so i i you know i just it was it was the right thing to do i had to do it i called the dnr and i was like i can't believe you're doing this but i am because you can't be a dual resident and right. I, you cannot be a dual resident, and get a resident in i get can't in michigan either so i was like i am no longer an iowa resident i am a michigan resident moved back for a job I need to be taken off the residency of list so I can get my preference point. And there was like, I was talking to this gal, there's this long pause and she, Crickets. Goes, <laughs> she goes, she goes, that's a first. And she's like, I've never, been, I've never had anybody tell me they need to be taken off the residency list for their deer licenses in Iowa. And it was, so it was like, Oh man, it was so, uh, it was the right thing to do. And I mean, it was, it was funny, but man, it was, So that tells you how struggling that was. It was, it was not easy by any means
0: to, uh, to have to do that. Right. All right. So I want to hear, I want to hear a kick-ass story from you, whether that is fishing or turkey or bow hunting or whatever. I want you to tell me a story right now about one of the most memorable or exciting hunts that you've ever been on. Oh boy.
1: There's a pile of them. But, um, you know, the one that just comes to the forefront of my mind first, more than anything was, uh, giving back my dad is, is a huge thing. That's really important to me. And just, I guess family members or, or mentors and my, that have really done a lot for me over the years. I really feel this, this just really deep desire and passion to be able to give back to them and, and through being in the industry and meeting some really great people and, and, and making a lot of friends and a lot of, you know, connections and relationships, um, dad always says like ever since he started bow hunting when i was like around 12 you know kind of years his whole thing was like he would love to shoot a bull elk with a bow like that's his that's it right like that's his thing so i'm kind of you know figuring out how in the world i would ever be able to afford something like that or how would i be able to make that happen or whatever well um had some really good friends that were actually in the industry and they've and been going out to wyoming uh on a do-it-yourself public land hunt for a few years now and I was like, and, and they actually invited me along and Hey man, you got to come try Wyoming for You just need one point and you put in your year point this year and get and draw next year. And I was like, you guys, thank you so much for inviting me. That's incredible. I said, got a little, like got a favor. I said, is there any way like I could come, but is there any way my dad could tag? Like, and I could bring my dad. And they're like, absolutely for sure. Like bring him on. It'd be awesome. You know? So, so um, we kind of worked the whole thing out and, um, and I surprised his birthday's in july and i surprised him with his l tag i get and i so i put a point in from the year before the year goes by and i said you know and i was kind of like hey don't make any vacation plans i got i got something going and he's like okay and so um surprised him on his birthday with his l tag and just i mean it was already like lost it you know we were both like just so excited already off the bat yeah and and uh ended up you know going out to Wyoming with these guys and it was like the end of the second day and we had had one close call on a setup Uh, heard a bunch of bulls bugling, worked our tails off already. And like the end, like the beginning of the third day, dad was already like the trips made. He's like, this has been the most unbelievable experience. Like here, like hunting in the mountains. He'd never been able to do that before. Uh, just getting to experience like the scenery, the bugling elk, seeing elk at a distance, seeing even some elk close up, like just un, just, just believable. Either one of us asked for. And, um, and sure enough, you know, long story short, uh, that it was the fourth afternoon, we were set up in this like little meadow um, that kind of dumped down off these two peaks, it was in this little valley, and it was this open meadow with a stream coming through it, and it was kind of a little opening. There's elk tracks everywhere. There was a bunch of sign there. We were kind of um, kind of off of it in dark timber, and just cow calling every once in a while, and um, and then you know sure enough, a bugle just rips off the top of one of the. Um, the top of one of these uh these peaks and it's like I mean neither one of us had all elk kind of before I can't be able to save my life um, so I'm just like sitting there like you know a little hoochie mama push button call and like you know just just trying to do my best here and um and, and thankfully like through these buddies that I had like they kind of were like hey like this region like you know hunt this section for today like there's you know we've seen some elk in here you know we had a guy five or six years ago shoot one up in here just go try like, so it was thankfully man I mean it wasn't we were going to, like you know we had had a lot of really great guidance and help up to that point anyway so we were still like doing it on our own it was still public hunting and everything like that and we were seeing some other people and stuff but we at least had somebody to point us in the right general direction and so we kind of get up the get up there and so again this ball rips off like i said comes down and man like i know you've elk hunted before like and i know you know how hard it is and like how just crazy this, this whole thing is but it's like it blew my mind how loud they are. Oh. They are like so crazy loud, like just walking. And and so we had this group of cows literally come like ten feet behind us, and we're just like leaned up against these trees and looking out of the corner of our eyes, and it's just like it's so unbelievable. I mean, literally, I can hear this cow breathing. And thankfully, like it was getting, it was getting to the evening time. We had the thermals in our advantage and we had the wind in our advantage. So it was like really lu- kind of a lucky thing. So they didn't bust us. They just kind of walked around on past us at like the closest distance ever. And as luck would have it, I was really nervous because I thought the, the bull if it was going to come and follow these cows was going to take the same path. Well, he ends up like, I just see dust kind of coming into this meadow from like off to our left. And I'm looking, trying to look up, and all of the, all of a sudden, I just see the tips, of these tines, this tips, of this rack coming down through there. And I mean, it was a it was a six by five, not a giant by any stretch of the imagination, but an absolute giant to us. I mean, you know, two Michigan oh, yeah. freaking whitetail hunts. You know, I mean, it was just like, oh my god! So I'm like, Dad, get up, get up! It's a bull! It's a bull! And so he's and he's the whole thing. He's like more comfortable shooting standing than he was sitting or anything like that. So he got stood up, and and sure enough, the bull is like still coming down. He's kind of heading down towards his stream. And we're looking, and I'm trying to range. I'm over my dad's shoulder the whole time, and I'm sitting there ranging. I'm like, gosh, I can't get a range because it's too thick. And finally his nose kind of comes out of the thing, and I range his nose at like 50. And he's kind of angling at us a little bit, and he, he actually turns a little bit more at, toward the end. And I was like, oh, no, don't like walk. Please don't walk at us. And, like, he kind of turns and then kind of pivots back down the hill a little bit. And I range him again, He's at 35 yards, like just slightly quartering away. And I just I just go with my mouth. I mean, I didn't even know what I did in my mouth. I just went like, no. Like that, just like a, a little commute and he just stopped on a dime. My dad was already at full draw. He could not have walked up to that elk and stuck the arrow in a better spot. I mean, as soon Drilled as it. the arrow, oh my gosh, absolutely <laughs> best shot of his life ever that he's made. And he and my dad's a good shot. Like he's one of those guys, and I know you know this. Like it's like, or you know guys like this. It's like he and a paper plate on a target. He would certainly fit. In a paper plate, but there would not be a tight group. Like, right. you know, it was that you put a, a live animal in front of him at 40 yards or closer, and it is dead. Like, yeah. that is just the, the fact of the matter. And that's the same thing. This thing tears off, runs across the creek, runs up on this hill. This and at the end of the dark timber, we lose sight of him, and you can just hear him just Jeez. as he's jumping stuff. And then he stops, and then it's like somebody rolled a pickup truck down a hill. It's just like this. Jeez. And I mean, I just can't even begin to describe like the emotions and I mean we're sitting there we're bawling we're yelling we're throwing <laughs> stuff we're hugging we're like we're like rolling around the ground and dad's like I mean just dad's like what did we just do what did we just like and he's sitting there shaking and you know he's he's 64 years old right and it's just like it was it was I mean honest to goodness the most unbelievable experience I've ever had doing anything, let alone, you know, the outdoors and hunting. And I didn't even have a weapon in my hand, but it was, I it just was, it was the most incredible thing to help my dad fulfill his bucket list. Like a couple, like I said, you know, flatlander, Michigan, whitetail hunters that right. love to just running, running gun deer and shoot whitetails and, and to just say, Hey, we're going to go do this, you know? And, and, and I mean, it, as you know, dude, you've been on elk hunts. It's like hitting the lottery. It just doesn't happen. Like yeah. you just, I mean, you you got guys that go years and years and years, that, that never even get an opportunity and, and I mean for us to to have that was just it was I don't know if I'll ever beat it I don't know if it'll ever be topped
0: i tell you what man that's an awesome story and it's a perfect example <laughs> of how hunting can make memories even oh. though you're not hunting you know what I mean oh man
1: yeah 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 100% right I mean and I, I think about that now, uh, getting married, and you know, I, I've I've mentored plenty of kids. I've I've taken a bunch of kids to get their first turkey. I've been blessed enough to take some some guys, even some some adults, and get their first deer and stuff. And it's those are some of the memories that just stand out the most to me because it's like we know how what it means to us, but to actually see people lose physical control of their body due to shitting <laughs> and due to excitement, it's just like it's so it's so infectious and so contagious and it's like, it's what it's about, man. And I like, I'm getting married this August. I'm thinking about, you know, the future and family. It's like, I can only imagine, you know, what, you know, I've talked to you about, you know, your, your daughter's getting older now and, and obviously Max getting older now Where it's like they're, you know, they're going to start going. And, and you've got to just be so pumped about that oh, to, to have those opportunities. Yeah. On the
0: yeah. I didn't realize how, you know, like I used to be a really selfish hunter, like, hey, I'm going to go out by myself. I mean, that's because yeah. just that's how I, I was got into hunting. I mean, like I said, I didn't, yeah. I didn't have much of a mentor. So it was all me. And then I started taking my wife turkey hunting and I get a kick. I just get a kick out of, you know, the strutter comes in and she's like, it's like now she's a killer. She, like she's a killer yep. now, but she still gets that excitement of, and then there's her excitement and then my excitement almost trumps her excitement because right, i'm just more as, excited. yeah i'm just as jacked that she shot a, uh, a turkey uh and and i called it in and it was like together that's just i don't know it, it's it's uh and now that it, my kids are starting to become of age it's just uh i'm now if they could just be quiet i think that's all i, I need them to do and then we can go hunting
1: right exactly yeah it's and I'm I, I totally know where you're coming from, man. Because I too, like I I cherish my time my time in the woods so much, and, I, and experience and, and, I mean like I it's, we do and we do a lot of stuff like especially when your job centered around it. And so it's so important, right? Like I mean I'm I, I'm, an, I, I'm an outdoor writer. I write quite a few articles every year and things like that for different magazines, different you know online forums, stuff like that. And it's it's like you almost have to like you, there's like some added pressure, but that time's so special and important. That you know, from half of October through November, it's like I think about that. I'm like, man, when you have kids, like you're gonna have to take them, and like, and and, and like, I'm just being honest with you. Like, I don't know how it makes me feel. Like, I feel like part of me, like part of me is like, part of well, that's kind of my time to hunt. So I don't know about that, but it's. I mean, I'm 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 hoping sure i've had enough buddies you know i'm getting old enough now where i've got a bunch of buddies that have kids and stuff and it's like dude it changes the game changes like it's just it's just way different than you can imagine and so i'm looking forward to that not that i not that i don't take kids obviously when it's really quote-unquote good or whatever but it's just it's just all those things like it's almost like a balancing act and i think if everybody's honest with themselves they probably experience that to some degree you know for everybody it's like man this is my time like i want to go
0: on you know yeah absolutely well i tell you what man Alex, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, hop on the hop on the uh, podcast and uh, BS with me for a little bit, man. Appreciate it. You bet, buddy. Anytime. I love it. I love what you're doing. I'm, I'm proud
1: to proud to see you get pushed off the ledge and and, and this is you now. i love it. The <laughs> old nine fingers is is no there is no cubicle life anymore.
0: <laughs> it's closet life now because everything's right, in right a closet. Now. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that brings us to an end of this episode. Huge shout out to Alex Gilstrom for taking time out of his day to hop on the podcast and chit chat with me. Huge shout out to all of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for making this podcast what it is. Please, if you find this podcast uh, interesting. Tell your friends. Please spread the word. Let everybody know that they need to listen to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Uh, Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you download uh, your podcast. Go to social media. Chat me. Whatever. Uh, Make sure you're following the Sportsman's Nation Instagram page. Lots of information going on there. And uh, lastly, a huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Lone Wolf. Hunter Safety Systems, Wasp Archery, Ripcord, Ozonics, and Prime. Uh, Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because without them, now the game has changed, right? This is my job. And uh, I need I need financial support. And one way to do that is to sell advertising to you guys and uh, make some money straight up. That's how it works. And uh, so please, at least go give their products a try um, and tell them that Dan Johnson influenced you to buy their products. <laughs> so, All right, I'm talking out my ass now. Please, if you're going to be in a tree at all, doing some tree stand work, because that time... Is coming very fast our friends at hunter safety systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of the week